0: It's June 1st, it's 2016. I, uh, I think tonight we will talk about mountains and working convictions, amen? I'm going to go ahead and tell you up front, you will hear if you have been in my house for in the last week, I think uh, in the last seven days we had six nights that went past 1.30 in the morning with Bible study. Uh, One of the things that I enjoy about that the most is that now more of the Bible presentation is coming from those who come to my house than from me. I want you to know that I hear you, that I am learning from you, that I appreciate it. There is no message quite like the one that comes from the student to the teacher. It means we're all becoming peers. Amen? Amen? So if you hear bits and pieces of your messages tonight, that's right. I stole them. It's my very great honor and privilege to be able to do so. Let's be honest, you've taken a few from me too, right? Turn with me to Numbers 8. Mountains and uh, working convictions. In Numbers 8, starting in verse 11. Aaron is to present the Levites before the Lord as a wave offering before the Israelites so that they may be ready to do the work of the Lord. Say, to do do the work work of the Lord. Lord. Why were the Levites presented? To be ready to do Do the work work of of the Lord. You cannot be a nation of priests and sit on your blessed assurance. You cannot do it because priests were presented for the purpose of doing the work of the Lord. You see that in verse 11? Just in case you had questions still, look at verse 19. Of all of the Israelites, I have given the Levites as gifts to Aaron and his sons to do the work. At the tent of meeting on behalf of the Israelites to do the work. We were saved, we were made priests to work. In verse 23, we repeat the concept again. The Lord said to Moshe, This applies to the Levites. Men 25 years old or more shall come to take part in the... In the... Y'all got to wake up with me, church. I'm doing better than you're doing. What do they come to do? Work. Yeah, that's right. You could say it in a male masculine tone and girls, you could make them sound pretty. Work. <laughs> the Vincents just came back from doing work. Turns out that when you're working for the Lord and you love the Lord, it doesn't feel as much like work. But it is work. Was it easy to drive all of those hours? No. And, and the kids perfectly just made it serene the whole time in the car, right? No. It's always hard to do the work of the Lord, which is why so many don't do it. The the world is full of Christians that come in here all of the time. If We had every person that promised me, Pastor, (laughs) I have never seen anything like this. The Lord has spoken to me. This is my church. And they were gone within six months. If we had those people sitting in here now, those goats sitting among these sheep, You'd be bruised and beaten from their behavior. But we couldn't fill this building. I mean, the building couldn't contain them all. The world is full of crippled Christians that refuse the cure. The world is full of sponges that will not be filled with the Spirit because they have filled themselves with apathy, laziness, self-centeredness, every other thing. But God has appointed us to work. At 25, he says they're going to come and take part in the work of the tent of meeting. But at the age of 50, they must retire from their regular service and work no longer. They may assist their brothers in performing their duties at the tent of the meeting, but they themselves must not do the work. There is a time to work in our life, and there is a time to help those that are doing the hardest work. You've heard these messages and... Messages like Young Men, that was one that is on our website that explains how these things work. A cultural aspect of this church and the true faith at large is that we work. First Peter 2, 9 through 10, teach us clearly that we are a chosen priesthood, a holy nation. That is the whole point of, of, of the passage. And if you are a Levite, then you must work, period. How many of you are priests of the Lord? But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. What did the priesthood do? They worked. It is an entirely modern Christian concept that we serve the Lord by sitting in His grace On our blessed assurance. That is a total, that has never existed before in history. It only exists now when someone wants you to sit and pay to hear them speak. I do not want you to sit and pay to hear Pastor Wade, Pastor Matthew, Elder Steve, Elder Charlie, or Pastor Eric preach. We are preaching to teach you to participate in the work. Somebody say, Amen in the house of God. Ephesians 2.10. We're going to pick this up. You've heard it many times, but we're, we're going to drill into this tonight. For we are God's created in Christ Jesus to do good, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God is working in your life so that you might use that life to work for Him. Could that get any clearer? So we won't argue faith and works. We don't do stupid things like that anymore. Those people can waste their time all day long. We show our faith by what we do. So why do you think that the Brasso family went down into one of the deepest canyons in in the world and the deepest canyon in the Western Hemisphere? Because they want to work for the Lord. Why do you think that men in this church visit India every year? They want to work for the Lord. Why did you get out of bed today? It is my deepest, strongest conviction that every day the Lord has a task for you. And that when you discover it, it's like finding treasure. That there is no day that's insignificant, no throwaway day, no day in which He did not prepare work in advance for you to do. Now turn with me to First Chronicles 28. We're going from the law to the writings tonight. When you get to First Chronicles 28, say, I'm there. Did you all enjoy Sunday? Yes. I've received word from, well, quite a few nations of how much they have enjoyed that message. What you are being blessed with on a regular basis, other Christians are putting to work. They're doing that. We do not want to sit this close to a fountain of life and be guilty of doing less with it than those who are hearing it from a great distance, do we? One of the reasons that I love this congregation the way that I do is you are the happiest when you are expressing your faith through love, loving deeds. So I met with uh, the Vincents today. I met with Brent and Brenton. And they're, they're smiling from ear to ear. Do you know why? They're exhausted doing the work of the Lord. They, they got to go share with God's people. They found out that the things that they have been taught and have been revealed to them are blessing other people. That they have something to offer the world at large. And people are encouraged when they meet them and they're encouraged when they meet those people. Now, the only thing better than working is working at something that you love with all of your heart. Do you love the king? Yes. Then isn't he worthy of our very, very best? Yes. What a high honor it is to be chosen to do the work of the Lord. You know, I've been raising children and been raising disciples longer than I've been raising children. Uh, it's not as if we don't have bad days. I stood and preached these last few weeks with broken ribs. I know what it is to put a bucket under the pulpit in case I'm going to throw up. We have watched our cars stolen from the parking lot while we're preaching, preached the day that our family members died, did their funerals, laid hands on people at the casket, saw people get filled with the Holy Ghost in the parking. We don't take very many days off in this church. And I love him, so it's it's not difficult to do. I mean, it's difficult, but it's worth it. In raising disciples, one of the things that you will see is you have to point them in the right direction. How many of you want to work for the Lord but aren't sure where to take your next step? Yeah, look at that. Imagine that King David is meeting with you and he has the plans for the temple of the Lord. And now he has some advice for you, his son. Look at First Chronicles 28 and verse 9. And you, my son Solomon... Acknowledge the God of your Father and serve Him with wholehearted devotion. What kind of devotion? Right. Step number one. List point number one. Is the Lord sharing your heart with many other interests? Does He have a part of your life or does He have the whole thing? If you have been in the Lord for 20 years and have produced no disciples and the predominant thing that follows your life is that you're upset with other people, He probably does not have all of your heart. If He has all of your heart, then it ought to show up in the kind of fruit that He bears, don't you think? People that will not work for the Lord are perpetual victims in every situation. They can never find a situation. They can be holding the bag of money and the gun and are still the victim in the situation. (laughs) But people who are working for the Lord don't have time to find fault with every person that they meet. They're pretty sure that if something's wrong, it's because they didn't get good directions on their own. But it's not everybody else's fault. In this church, we want to be known for our love for the Lord that produces work. And it comes from giving Him your whole heart. Amen? Amen. And with a willing mind. <laughs> All right, ladies. You ever been excited because your guy came and said, you know, it's date night. I know I've been neglectful. I mean, it's, it's been a long time, but tonight, where do you want to go? Wherever you wanted to go now... You got all of his attention. He's sitting in front of you. You were excited just to renew with each other. And he keeps checking his cell phone. You notice that he's noticing everybody else in the room. You actually asked a question that he didn't even hear. How do you feel with that? But, I mean, he says that uh, his heart is with you. Well, his heart may be with you, but where's his mind? It's on something else. Not only does the Lord have all of your your heart, does He have all of your mind? Are you willingly giving Him your thoughts? During worship today, I couldn't help but think that the angels were assembled around us, which is an interesting thing since tonight it smells like a diesel factory in here. I mean, something happened with the lawn maintenance program next door and I think they spilled their chemicals in here. And the Lord didn't seem to mind. Were your thoughts somewhere else during worship? Or were they firmly fixed on Him? You want to work for the Lord? Get your heart completely in Him. Set your mind completely on Him. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive. Somebody say motive. motive. Behind the thoughts. Are your motives for working for the Lord pure? Pure. I've noticed nobody's ever guilty of anything anymore. It's always a big misunderstanding. Do you know how you know if your motives are pure? The Word judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. The only way you will ever know if your work is for the Lord is if you are seeking His face through the written Word daily. Because your heart will lie to you about your motives. It's exceedingly good at it. It's been deceiving you most of your life. But the Word of God will make clear your motives. If you get your heart involved in Him, if you get your mind involved in Him, if your motives are lined up with Him, He says, if you seek Him, He will be found by you. But if you forsake Him, He will reject you forever. Consider now the Lord has chosen you to build the temple as a sanctuary. What is your work? Well, in Solomon's day, he was to build the temple. But you are to build the body of Christ. There's nobody in here that's exempt from that. Do you believe that? Yes. Is there, when the Great Commission was given, was there an exception for you? No. How busy are you doing that? How much of your heart does it have? How much of your thoughts does it have? When you witness, what is your motive in witnessing? I just noticed that we're sending out missionaries. And when we have a missionary in town, like Fabian's coming in a few days, people give a special amen that I don't hear on other days. If Fabian's eating lunch with us and you're with us, you might witness to the waitress. And I didn't see you witness to the waitress last week. What if we didn't elect... Amazing men of God, like Brent, like Buddy, like Fabian, to do our work for us. What if we were all equally involved in doing it wherever we were? Well, it would require you to be strong. He says, be strong and do the work. Why would you have to be strong? How many things compete for your attention in a day? Yeah, you You got to go to work. You, you, you got to figure out how to clothe your family. You got to figure out all of those things. It takes serious strength to do what God has called you to do, doesn't it? Yes. Well, maybe there we're finding out where maybe maybe your heart's been with the Lord, maybe maybe your mind has been with the Lord, maybe maybe you got all of this good. Your motives are pure, but you just need to be strengthened. Well, how long should you be strengthened before you would expect a tree to produce fruit? Have you ever read Luke thirteen? What do you do when the master comes and says, you have one more year and then I'm not going to put up with you anymore? Have you ever read Luke 13? Anybody? The king of the universe may look and decide that an employee who will not work has run out of grace. You know, I talked to you Sunday about being in the presence of the Lord, looking to the right, seeing His Word, looking to the left, seeing His Spirit. In front of you is the throne of God. And if you're tempted to go backwards, you hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And if you really love the Lord, you almost can't help but get this right. Then why are so many not getting it right? If you love the Lord, it will show up in how hard you work for Him. And if you will not work for Him, you do not love Him. Yeah? Is that a strong word? You have to decide whether or not you want to hear the Word of God week after week after week and live exactly the same way that you had in the previous weeks. Because that makes us guilty. But if we hear it and we apply it, if we begin to tend to the soil of our hearts and there is growth, even a little growth, even growth that hasn't yet broken the soil of the dirt, the the top of the soil, then God will pour more water on you. He will pour more sunlight on you. He will help you bear the fruit that He called you to bear. So this is not about works But it is about working. Let me see if I can straighten this up for us. Let's go to Zechariah. We went from the law to the writings, and now we're going to be in the prophets. When you get to Zechariah, say, I'm there." There, there. I found out you cannot, and it's been difficult. I heard Elder Charlie preach this in Natchitoches, Louisiana. He said, if I could beat the gospel in you, son, we would fight every day. I found out that you cannot badger somebody into loving the Lord. But what you can do is you can point out that their lip service to the Lord is not the same as loving the Lord. That attending a church is not the same as being the church. That promising to be discipled is not nearly the same as actually being discipled. That saying that you work for the Lord is not the same as producing fruit in keeping with your profession. In Zechariah 4 was a time in my life, I was reading this, where I really needed a word from the Lord, because working for the Lord can be difficult, kind of like driving all over the U.S., yeah? 4.1, then the angel who talked with me returned and wakened me as a man wakened from his sleep. Have you ever needed to be wakened? (laughs) Sometimes we need something just to wake us up. I wish that it was always a loving kiss. But anybody raising teenagers in here? Sometimes you walk in and you say, Hey, uh, it's a beautiful morning. Wake up. They don't even hear you. You know, you might even shake them on the shoulder and say, I love you, hon. Get up. They don't even hear you. If I walk up the stairs and say, Feet on the floor now. They're both up <laughs> Immediately. We want to be lovingly coerced into waking up, but sometimes we need to be jolted a little bit. Yeah? Amen. I was jolted with this scripture. You ready? ready? He asked me, What do you see? I answered, I see a gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lights on it, with seven channels to the lights. Also, there are two olive trees by it. One, On the right of the bowl and the other on its left. Now, I am a pitiful artist, but we're going to do this just so you have something to look at while we talk about this. So we have seven channels in a lampstand. This is a menorah, yeah? Yeah. Did I get seven? I did. And then on either side... Boy, our brown is suffering here. On either side, we're going to have... An olive tree. This is the imagery that God woke through an angel, woke Zachariah up to see. Aren't you glad you woke up for that? It's all clear now. Now you certainly understand it. Except God woke me up one morning just before light, which is a miracle in itself. And he turned me to this passage. And I didn't know any more what these things meant than Zachariah, uh, or rather... Yeah, then Zechariah knew. Verse 4. I asked the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? He answered, Do you not know what these are? Well, thank you for grinding it in. No, my Lord, I replied. So he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. How many of you have quoted that verse? How many of you have it on a shirt somewhere in your house or on your wall? Get your hands up if you have this verse somewhere in your wardrobe or on a wall in your house. Well, not as many as I would think. The word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who despises the day of small things? Men will rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These are the seven eyes... ...of the Lord, which reigns throughout the earth. Then I asked the angel, "...what are the two olive trees on the right and on the left of the lampstand?" Again I asked him, "...what are these two olive branches beside the two gold pipes that pour out golden oil?" He replied, "...do you not know what these are?" How many times could the heavens emphasize that he was ignorant of their meaning? "...no, my Lord," I said, "...these are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord." Of all of the earth, I got a revelation concerning these, and I want to share it with you. This is going to have to do with olive trees, menorahs, the temple, and eventually mountains. Y'all, put uh, Psalm fifty-two in verse seven on the screen for us. Fifty-two in verse eight, rather. These olive trees represent men, and when you have two of them, they're in covenant. They're families. In this case, this is Zerubbabel, and it's the high priest Joshua. But the point is, anywhere that God has called His work to be done, He's got more than one person to do it. Do you know why? You need accountability in your life. You need somebody who can wake you up when you're sleeping. Somebody who can correct you when you're wrong, help you up when you have fallen. You need somebody to work with. No man in here should be a loner, period. And let me ask you, how well have you done while you're alone? Everybody wants to be discipled as long as there's no accountability in it. The Lord told me it would not work that way. When we see this, olive trees. Listen to how David said it. But I am like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. Somebody say "Flourishing." flourishing. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. Why would David call himself... An olive tree. I want to read to you something I pulled off Wikipedia right before we walked out here. Olive trees show a marked preference for calcareous soils, flourishing best on limestone slopes and crags and on coastal climate conditions. They grow in any light soil, even on clay if well drained, but in rich soils. Say rich soils. They are predisposed to disease and produce poorer oil than in poorer soil. Now, who would have ever guessed that? You put an olive tree in good soil, its fruit gets bad. You put an olive tree in poor soil, its fruit gets good. Olive trees like, say like, like like hot weather and sunny positions without any shade. They tolerate drought well thanks to their sturdy and extensive root system. Did you hear that olive trees like drought? They like sun. They do not like shade. They do not like rich soil. Listen to this last line here. By the way, this is Wikipedia, olive trees, under the section growth and propagation. (laughs) Olive trees can live for several centuries and can remain productive for as long as they are, you're not going to believe this, pruned correctly and regularly. That's not a Christian who wrote that. Why is David like an olive tree in the house of God? Because you cannot put him in a position where he will not work for the Lord. You can't put him in a position that he doesn't feel blessed by the Lord. The poorer the soil, the more fruit he wants to bring. Because it shows that it comes from God and not from Him. Olive trees don't whine about where they're planted. Olive trees don't complain about their conditions. Olive trees are there to produce, shockingly, olives. What are Christians here to produce? Christians. Christians, please don't fall into a 21st century selfish mentality that claims that your fruit is your personal growth in your own life. Show me that in the word. Your fruit is growth in the body of Christ Amen. that is the result of the quality of what Christ has done in your life. You can't spend 30 years making sure that your personal fruit love, patience I can't even speak love, patience, peace, kindness is, it's, all, it's all growing, it's all where it's at. then where are the Christians? How could you be like Christ and not produce Christ? If you plant an olive tree, what do you expect to come up beside it? More olives. More (laughs) olive trees. If you beat an olive tree, what happens? You just get olives. If you try to starve an olive tree out with a drought, what do you get? More More olives. olives. If you put it in a bad spot, what do you get? The only way to kill an olive tree is to put it in good soil, surrounded with no adversity. Are you sure your environment's the problem? Well, it is, but not in the way that you thought. So the Lord began to deal with me. Olive trees are men. I want you to be in covenant with other men. At that point in my life, I no longer wanted to do it alone. I was done with it. Whatever it took, I was going to partner with other men who loved the Lord enough to do the work. Does that make sense? What do you partner with people around Is it working for the Lord? Or do you partner with people around leisure? Do you partner with people around misery? Do you commiserate with people? Or do you call each other to the highest standard? What would your friends say about you? Would they say, when they're there, I know it's okay to complain? Or I'm ashamed to complain in front of them because they just won't tolerate it? See, you might think that you're more compassionate than God. But God does not tolerate complaining. God brought me men that I am accountable to. And I'm so thankful for it. It's made all the difference in my life. It has helped me flourish in the house of God. I trust in His unfailing love forever. And when I cannot see good things in my own life, do you know whose life I see good things in? The men God called me to work with. And every once in a while, when I can't see anything good in my life, I'm excited that the men that I love, they see something in me that's worthwhile. Friends, that'll carry you through droughts. That'll take you through difficult places. Do your best to hear what I'm telling you. You work in accountability with people, in covenant with people, because it's the only way to do the work over the long haul. That's how God has ordained it. Now, there's a menorah in this. So let us turn, keep your finger here, and let us turn to Revelation The second chapter, which is where I turned the morning the Lord spoke this to me, it was at the time the only place I could think of that there was a menorah described like this. I didn't know then what I know now. Revelation 2, starting in verse 1. To the angel in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your your hard work. and your perseverance please don't think that it was just the levites that were supposed to work hard deeds hard work and perseverance are the first thing that Jesus Christ mentioned to the very first church that he addresses in the book of revelation how could that escape our notice deeds hard work perseverance first thing that is mentioned about them very first thing not grace Not doctrinal statement, not uh, the number of people in the building, not that there was a Starbucks in the lobby. None of those things. He mentions their deeds, hard work, and perseverance. Second thing, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, but have tested those who claim to be apostles and are not, and have found them false. I'm not going to go into the Greek here, but tested means you did what it took to figure out what they really are and found means you published the results. These are people with deep convictions. How do you know that? They're working hard for the Lord. They're persevering for the Lord. And when others want to pull alongside them, they test them to see whether they are of the same stock. And if they're not, they don't withdraw privately. They tell everyone exactly what they found when they examined them. Verse 3, You have persevered and endured hardships for my name and have not. Yet one thing, or yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. How contrary is the letter to the Ephesians within the book of Revelation to what you would hear said popularly from most pulpits in most places today? He talks about working hard. He talks about removing the lampstand, which we're told can't be done. And he talks about hating certain things And publishing the findings of testing other brothers. Or people that claim they're brothers. None of that is acceptable today. That's not what I got from this passage though. When this was first given to me, I realized that the lampstand represented God's spirit among you. Signifying you were supposed to do the work. When Zechariah is seeing this, He's recognizing that God's sevenfold spirit is right there working between two households to accomplish a task that he wants. Do you know what the task was? It's the same one Solomon had, to build a temple. That temple uh, began in 536 B.C. That's when he began to lay the foundations. Do you know how long it took him? It was 21 years before he had a building on the site. Working at something for 21 years in the midst of the devastation of the previous temple with all of the fear, all of the problems that you could have about comparison and contrast. I mean, Haggai had to encourage him. What do you think you would be struggling with? He needed to know that God's presence was with him and that other people had been anointed to help him. See, when we teach these things, we didn't pull them as abstract concepts out of the Word. These are things that God spoke to us. It is the platform that you stand on and don't even realize it. The things that we have heard from God have benefited you. Please don't take them lightly. This is for your works of service. When you move on... From just the topic of the Spirit in your midst, think about what the Spirit is supposed to produce. Does anybody know what the Hebrew word Caleb means? You guys got a kid named Caleb. Dog. Flattering, huh? So why does anybody name their kid Caleb? And you meet them everywhere. If it means dog, why would we do that? Let's put on the screen for everybody while you stay in Zechariah. Numbers. No, let's put Joshua 14 in verse 7. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my... According to my what? Do you mean to tell me that Caleb was a, was a man that had deep convictions about something? Let's go to the next verse. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God with wholeheartedly. Caleb was a man who had convictions that came from God, that there was a task that needed to be done, that he was called of God to do it. He gave his whole heart to it when no one else did. Look at this in Numbers 14. Put it as uh, Numbers 14, 24. This says why he had deep convictions. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me, what's the word? Wholeheartedly, Wholeheartedly I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. Think on this. When we are working with men, if there's one other who will join with you in the work and the Spirit of God is with you, it ought to form your convictions in a way that the nation around you could not stomp out. Can I tell you that there was nobody when we got to Sugarland, Texas that walked up and said, I'm so glad you're here to start a church. Nobody. Do you want to know how many men were in ministry that told us don't do it? That told us that it would never work? That told us they had tried and failed or the one thing Sugarland didn't need was another church? You need to join with people in the convictions God gives you and stand in the presence of the Lord. It is everything. You need to be like an olive tree in the house of God. The poorer the soil, the more determined you are to give Him good fruit. The drier the conditions, the more determined you are to give Him good fruit. We teach very often on 1 Thessalonians in this church. Chapter 1 and verse 4. We know our brothers dearly loved that you were chosen by God. Because our gospel came to you with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep convictions. The word there, brothers, is plural. When God begins to manifest His presence among more than one family that have joined in the same conviction, it's enough to stand against the world. Well, I didn't have another family when I came here but God added them because I was faithful to go. And God will add to the families that leave here, the people that they need. But no one is ever to do this alone. Let me ask you, in your discipleship process, is your real problem that you don't join in the group as a community? You hope to be discipled alone, somewhere off by yourself and represent yourself more perfected to the rest of the group? In other words, you are so laden with pride that you will not change and will not allow people to speak change into your life. Because I can confidently tell you, those of you that we have known each other a long time and you're not growing, that's absolutely why you're not growing. You do not engage like the new Christians engage. The new Christians cannot get enough of each other's presence, the Lord's presence. They love church, but to some in here it's become a burden. Something that you just do. The Lord is worthy of so much more than that. Your life was called to be so much more than that. And we can sit back and wait for it to change, but it won't. You know, I have known some folks so long that I can remember that when I was one month old in the Lord, they were talking about being called to work with brown-skinned people south of the border. And to this day, they have never crossed the southern border. How long can you be called to do something without ever doing it before we recognize there's a problem? I talked to him today on the phone. There's a deception in this. It says, as long as I continue to talk about it, it's all okay. It's not okay. Somewhere, we have to begin to actually work. Amen? Amen. Buddy Brasso, do you want to do the work? I know that you do. Ephesians 2 Pick up with me in verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a what? Zechariah was called to build a physical building. Do you know what you're called to build? The actual body of Christ. It took Zachariah more than 21 years just to get from foundation to a structure. And what he had to know that he had was a partner and God's presence among them. Or he couldn't do it. In fact, without reading it tonight, Haggai has to... Actually, let's read it. In Haggai, the second chapter, go to verse 1. Four, Haggai two, starting verse four. But now, be strong, O Zerubbabel. Who's saying that to him? A prophet is speaking to another prophet. Declares the Lord, "Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak." That's his partner. That is Zerubbabel's partner, the high priest. Be strong, all of you people of the land. Declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. He goes on to talk about a great shaking that's going to occur. The same prophecy we had Sunday from Natalie Aregina in this building. If you are really doing the work of the Lord, you will need your brothers to encourage you. And if you don't need your brothers to encourage you, it's because you're not engaged in serious work. I can't tell you the number of days that if I did not have the encouragement of my brothers around me that they will not quit, they keep going, I don't know what would happen to me. I need my brothers. And my brothers need me. If you had to name yours right now, four of them, let's just start there. Who are the four most indispensable people in your life? And then would they describe you that way? Do you cause them to grow? Or do you only expect them to cause you to grow? See, if we're going to do the work of the Lord, it will require every person lifting their part. Wow, y'all are very quiet tonight. Whether it's good or not, it is what you get. Let's do this. Let's talk mountains for a minute. Did you hear that there were mountains in Zerubbabel's way? Let me read it to you in Zechariah one more time so you don't lose the concept or I don't preach myself away from it. What are you, O mighty mountain, before Zerubbabel? You will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstones to shouts of, God bless it, God bless it. Let's put that in context. There is a heavenly messenger encouraging Zechariah to encourage Zerubbabel. And what is he being encouraged about? I've anointed you and I've anointed Joshua. You will finish this project. My presence is among you. Why did he need the encouragement? Because from the time he started to lay the foundation, it was 21 years before he had anything that resembled a building. How many of you might have quit before 21 years was up? And the angel tells him, what are you mighty mountain before this guy? I want to tell you might and power real quick. Let me just put these on the board for you. When you hear might and you hear power in English, there's not a giant difference. In Hebrew, one word, might, is hayil. The other word is koa. I'll put the Strong's numbers for you. 35, 81 is koa, and hayil is 24, 28. This is usually translated might. This is usually translated power. It's not just poetic speech. You know what the difference between Hayil and Koa is? Hayil tends to speak of your collective resources, and Koa tends to speak of your personal force. Think of what he's saying. It is not through all of your resources that you can accomplish this, nor is it through your personal strength that you can accomplish this. You will have to be dependent completely, totally upon the Spirit and the convictions that come from the Spirit. The people that you work with and the Spirit of God working among you. Do you understand? No man has this by themselves. No woman has this by themselves. It's why you need each other. And the more you learn to hear from God, to prophesy to each other, to encourage each other, to join in the work with each other, the more glorified God is through it. And what was the giant encouragement that they received? He said, the plumb line is in his hand. In other words, I started it and I will finish it. Which brings me to another topic. Do you start what you finish? Do you finish what you start, I should rather say. So often what we hear is, Hey brother, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that. But the problem is, is you had never done it. The reason there's a church here today is because men did not quit. They did not give up. They didn't take off. They didn't decide somewhere along the way that it was too hard. They didn't... Take a sword option or an easier way out. They stuck with it when there was no praise for it. They stuck with it when there was no success for it. And they did that for one reason. He was worth it. What has Jesus told you to do that he's worth doing whether it ever seems to go right or not? Turn with me to Exodus 19. While you're in Exodus 19, we're going to talk just a bit about mountains. This is as quiet as this church has been in a while. Y'all are, feel like you're getting spanked? It's okay. Sometimes that's a good wake-up call. When you think of mountains in the Bible, Genesis twenty-two fourteen 14 could come to mind. On this mountain the Lord will provide. Right? Is that a good scripture about mountains or a bad scripture? Raise your hand if it's a good scripture. Raise your hand if it's a bad scripture. Okay, so which one of you wants to take your son up on a mountain, raise a knife above his head and be ready to kill him so that we can find out on this mountain the Lord provides? Nobody in here thought it was a bad scripture. That's because you've never been on a mountain with a knife above your son's head. You know, it's like saying, is the cross good or bad? It's a monumental achievement in, in all of God's work except that it meant that all of humanity united to kill God's son. So is it good or bad? Well, it's a matter of perspective. Mountains that lie before us are a matter of perspective. We say, oh, well, the Bible says they'll become level ground. Yes, but it took 21 years of work for him to do that. That's a little different than we think of as charismatics. Oh, we'll just pray. We'll just pray. It took 21 years. Years. Maybe you could think of Isaiah 2, the mountain of the Lord. The nation streaming to the mountain of the Lord. A good mountain or a bad mountain? Well, it's a great mountain because they're streaming to the Lord, right? Except that you find out we've had war on a global scale never repeated in history. Never known up to that point. Never again to be repeated. Do you know what that means? It's worse than World War II. So good mountain or bad mountain? Maybe maybe your mind's shifted away from that mountain and you began thinking, of a mountain like, uh, I don't want to turn back to Revel, yeah, I'll turn back. In Revelation 1, you stay where you're at. It's okay. In Revelation 1, listen to this. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering of the kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus Christ was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. What if it was the mountain of opposition that John was facing, and yet while on a prison island, he's hearing from God? A good island, a good mountain, or a bad mountain? One of the most interesting things is that when we face the obstacles in our life that cause most to quit, is when leaders rise. In Exodus 19, where you're at, pick up with me in verse 16. On the morning of the third day there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud covered the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. How many trembled? Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. The people were trembling. The mountain was trembling. Did you hear that everyone trembled? Now, did you hear that everyone trembled? Yes. Yes. One of the things I was talking with the pastor about today is because of his deeply held convictions, he's become immovable on some subjects. You know what people are saying? Well, that's just how he is. I mean, that's his personality. That's, it's easy for him. I mean, but, but for me, it's harder. The funny thing is the pastor's never been known for this before. His convictions are coming and flowing from what the Spirit is telling him and the people that he's joined in the work to do and everyone says it's easy for him. Surely he's not trembling. All the people at the mountain trembling. How do you think of Moses? In Hebrews 12, look what verse 18 says. You have not come to a mountain that can't be touched. And that is burning with fire to darkness gloom and a storm to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. When we read everyone earlier, did you think of Moses or did you think of everyone else? See, it's got to be easier for those guys that are leading, right? It has to be... I mean, they, they're just that way because it's their personality. Or maybe they take seriously that the presence of God is in their midst and they've made themselves accountable to other people so they cannot, will not back up from their convictions. And the reason that it feels to you like you are different than them... It's not because both kinds of men don't tremble. Well, maybe you just hadn't had the same revelation. What moves you, church? What have you promised the Lord that you're going to do? Should it matter whether it takes two years or 20 years? Should it matter whether it takes 20 or 40 years? See, the world is offering a different alternative. They're, they're offering a different path. Even, even people we love say, does it have to be so hard always? Does it have to be so serious always? You know, I mean, we just kind of think there's a different way, you know? There is. Turn with me to Matthew 4. In Matthew 4, let's look at a different way to get up that mountain. 4.8 Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. How did he get up the mountain? No trembling. No fear. No climbing. No 21 years of work. He's just suddenly on top of the mountain and the kingdoms of the world are His. You know, this is how we want Christianity to be. It is the problem with the triumphal entry. Have you ever wondered how they praised Him on on, uh, Sunday and they killed Him on Wednesday? Have you ever wondered how that happens? They received the Jesus that they wanted Him to be, not the Jesus that He actually was. They actually believed in receiving Him, it was the finish line of all that God had called them to do. In other words, when he comes in, their problems are done. When he comes in, their oppressor is cast away. When he comes in, it gets easy. The problem is they made the finish line, or the starting line rather, the finish line. Jesus did not come to do all of those things. He came to initiate in them a process that would remove mountains. He came to initiate in them a kingdom that couldn't be conquered by the world and the gates of hell would never overcome it. He came to begin something in them that was the beginning, not the end. When we think on these kind of subjects, when you look at what is wrong, why couldn't He just take the kingdoms of the world? They're promised to Him because it was the easy way. That's why. Because there is no faith in it. There is no glory for God in it. Proverbs 20, 21. Put them on the screen. An inheritance quickly gained in the end will not be a blessing. And we quote it rightly. An inheritance quickly gained at the beginning will not be blessed in the end. If you got there as quickly as you wanted to get there, it wouldn't be good for you. You know Why? You wouldn't know how bad you needed to lean upon your brothers. You wouldn't know how bad you need to lean upon the Spirit of the Lord. You might think that your collective resources and your own personal strength would get it done. But you struggle long enough, you find out you don't have the resources. You struggle long enough, you find out you don't have the force. All you have is the Spirit of God, the convictions He gave you, and the people who go with you. That's what you have. And you know what? The naysayers sit on the sidelines and say, it's easy for them. They say that to absolve themselves from trying. It's not easy for anybody. It requires the total abandonment of your life. In the 13th chapter of Exodus, we won't read it now, but starting around verse 16, going to verse 18, God did not take them on the shorter route. He didn't take them on the express lane to the mountain. He could have. He chose not to. You know what he did instead? He armed them for battle and then marched them in their battle gear without facing war. Is there anybody who thinks that's a good idea? Why are we wearing all this armor if we're not going to go? Because you need to learn to wear it. And you don't know what you don't know yet. Maybe after carrying it around for a few years, you'll be ready to use it when you run into somebody instead of drop it and run. The shorter route doesn't produce the temple of God. Zechariah needed to be encouraged by his peers. I'm sorry, Zerubbabel needed to be encouraged by Zechariah. He needed to be encouraged by Haggai. He needed to know that while he didn't have what it took, God had put in him and around him the things that it took. You know my favorite thing about mountains? It's in Daniel 2.35. Put that on the screen. When you think of Daniel... In a mountain. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff on the threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. If you follow that entire prophetic passage, a rock is cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. It starts small. It hits this kingdom of the world and it grows and it grows and it grows until it takes over the world. Do you know what you find in dealing with the mountain? You take something away from the process that the world can't conquer. You take a conviction away from struggling through your own fear to get up that mountain and arriving at the calling of the Lord. You take something away from that that begins to fill the lives of the people that are around you. When it comes down to it, why do you all listen to Matthew? When it comes down to it, why do you listen to Pastor Wade? Why is what Charlie says or Steve says important to you? Why do you show up week after week to hear what I would have to say? Because something came away from our struggle that feeds you. That's why. What's supposed to be coming off of the fragrance of your life? Are you an olive tree in the house of God? Are you working in covenant with other people? Do you have the Spirit's conviction in your heart? ...in life because if you do, it bears a certain kind of fruit. There's going to be a separation of sheep and goats in this body. And the days of us putting up with goats budding the sheep have come to an end. We are here to advance the kingdom of God. We're not going to indulge petty rivalries. We're not going to spend our time listening to things that are civilian affairs... Our job is to train those who want to be trained for ministry. That's our job. To advance the kingdom. To go after it. Not to spend our time fighting about who likes who and indulging in seventh grade kind of behavior. That's goat behavior. If we could pray it away, we would. But you can't. And the reason that you can't pray it away is because there's a process that we're engaging in here. And the more difficult the process, the more it has to offer you. When the temple was built originally, I'm talking about Solomon's temple. Do you know what the cost was, anybody? In 2 Samuel 24, it was offered to be provided for for free. Arunah said, what do you want, David? I'd give you whatever you want. Y'all remember David's response? Yes. Yes. I will not offer my Lord something that costs me nothing. You know why? Because these olive trees are the most fruitful when they're in the worst soil. They're the most fruitful when they're in drought. They're the most fruitful when they know how great their personal need is. And God causes them to be fruitful. Have your circumstances kept you from being fruitful? What is keeping you? from being fruitful. How many years will you go without sharing the gospel with other people? How burdened is your prayer life for the rest of the world? Or does this all still revolve around you? In Matthew 21, we see the final mountain that I want to cover tonight. This is at the triumphal entry This is when they're hoping he's coming to complete everything. And in fact, he's coming to start it. They thought they were at the end of the race. And they're actually at the beginning of the race. They hope there were no more mountains to climb. And he's saying you haven't begun to deal with the mountains in your life yet. Matthew 21, 21. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but you can also say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. How many thousand messages have we heard about an overcoming faith and you stand and you pray and then it happens? Why don't people present this as when you start to build Zerubbabel's temple, if you trust God, it may take 21 years, but you'll level the mountains. Why do they see it as an instant and not as a lifetime of service? And which one resembles the devil taking Jesus up on the mountain more? See, if we're waiting for God to do it in an instant, it it absolves us of having to pick up the shovel every day. What if what we were saying is that the Holy Spirit and the men that He's called you to work with, holding fast to your convictions, you will get it done no matter how long it takes. The mountains are no match for you. That would call for patient endurance on the part of the saints, wouldn't it? Jesus Christ says that you are the workmanship of God in Christ Jesus. That's why the Apostle Paul said it, but Jesus told him to say it. You are the workmanship, right? Say, I am the workmanship. I am the workmanship. So that I can work. So that I can work. He finished his work so that you could begin yours. Zerubbabel got his done, Jesus got his done. In John 4.34, Jesus said, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me, and hear this, and complete His work. I'm going to finish my days with the men that God has called me to work with, completing the work that God has called me to do. How does that stand with you? Put Colossians 1.28 on the screen. Paul said it this way. We proclaim him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Do you really think that Paul thought he had all wisdom? Is he arrogant? Or does he just have deep convictions that what God has given him is what they need? So that we may present everyone perfect in Christ, how tall is that mountain? Do you feel confident you can present your family perfect in Christ? How could you say present everyone perfect in Christ? He didn't want to leave anyone behind, but he also threw people out of churches. How about that? He also said you can't eat with people like this. He told Titus, Warn a divisive person once, then twice, then nothing to do with them. But his goal was to present everyone perfect in Christ. How about the next verse? To this end to this goal, to this telos, I labor, struggling with all his energy which works so powerfully in me. Paul's great learning, Paul's great charisma, Paul's great force, availed to nothing. The energy of Christ working in him and the men that he was called to work with, that availed to everything. Church, if it was a matter of your resources, your high or your personal power, your strength, koa, then you would have an excuse. You could say, I don't have enough resources, I don't have enough power. But if it is according to His Spirit, and trusting the convictions that He's given you, as long as it takes, then the only question is, do you have enough love for Him? Do you hear me? See, none of you are without what you need. None of you. All you have to do is love Him enough to actually... Try, right? We're going to stand to our feet.